Hello, and welcome to AI Wisdom, talking innovation in insurance. On this podcast, we talk to business and insure tech leaders about how artificial intelligence is transforming the way we buy and sell insurance. I'm your host, Ron Glosman, founder and CEO of Chisel AI, and a strong believer in the power of AI to help people work smart and enrich their lives. So let's get into it. I am very excited to be doing one of our first video podcasts. And with me, I have a very special guest. We've been on his podcast, which is a wonderful podcast, the JB Knowledge Podcast. And uh, now he's on our podcast. So I'm very pleased to have with me James Benham, CEO and co-founder JB Knowledge. Join me today as we talk about technology and the impacts that it's going to have on workers over the next ten, five to 10 years in the insurance industry. Sure. James. Thanks for having us, man. Uh, I I love uh, being I love guesting on other people's podcasts. I've been a podcaster for six years now, and it is uh, super fun to get to to visit on other people's shows. And so I'm excited to be here today, Ron. And uh, good to, good to see you. Awesome. So why don't you give us a little bit of a background? Aside from the fact that you're a pilot and you have a great radio voice, how did you get into insurance? <laughs> Uh, I am from uh, South Louisiana, Baton Rouge, and uh, just uh, fell in love with technology when I hit about 11, and they started teaching computer science in school, and my dad got me a computer when I was 12 and changed my life. That was it. I mean, everything, nothing was the same after that, and it, I, I really never cared about games or anything like that. I, I, I always loved coding, uh, surprisingly. Mm. I, I thought that building my own apps was way more fun than, uh, than playing a, somebody else's game, and so... I uh, got super involved in that, went to the world's finest institute of higher education, Texas A&M University and College Station, and started in comp sci and, and actually was kind of burnt out because I'd been coding all through this. Uh, I went to an engineering high school that was all focused on engineers. So it was like super nerdy high school. Uh, no football, baseball, or basketball. It was just like, seriously, they said, it, they, said they were distractions to academics. And so <clears throat> it, was, it was really amazing. But I uh, ended up getting an accounting degree which has helped me so much in insurance <laughs> uh, and uh, got a master's in, in business and a master of science in ma management information systems at the business school at a and and then did a couple internships at a big uh, consulting accounting firm, PricewaterhouseCoopers, and did six months of internships with them as an undergrad and grad student. It was like, ah, not my thing. Great firm, great people, not my speed. And so I started JB Knowledge uh, 20 years ago out of my dorm room when I was wrapping up my uh, master's and undergrad. And uh, I felt like many fell into insurance. There was no major for insurance. There was no mm -hmm. undergrad or master's program in insurance. There was no minor in insurance. We didn't have an insurance class, which is just mind boggling. Now that I understand the industry, there should at least be one class on risk management and insurance in business school. There was for nothing. Sure. And uh, built a lot of websites and software for people in the early days, 20 years ago, basically anything that would pay the bills because we were bootstrapped. We, we started with 5,000 bucks and a dream and uh, never raised around in 20 years and, and went out and uh, got a lot of business. And one of my friends was an M&A guy and he bought a, uh, an insurance vendor that did inspections for uh, property underwriting for commercial and personal lines, uh, underwriting inspections. And so we ended up building a bunch of software for them to integrate them with some, you know, carriers, the state farm nationwide USAA, all these different carriers. 
And that's what got us in the business was uh, just by chance, a friend of mine was an M&A guy and by chance he bought an insurance company. By chance they needed help with software development in 2004, uh, so what, 17 years ago now. Mm-hmm. And I ended up being their interim um, IT director <laughs> for a period of time, uh, helping them transition IT directors and ended up rebuilding a lot of their tech and their infrastructure. And I mean, to the point where I was in the server room physically pulling old machines out and replacing them. I'm an old hardware network guy. I used to be a, I used to be a sysadmin. I used to, to sysadmin some previous D boxes and some uh, RS 6000s back in the 90s and super nerdy stuff. Uh, Windows NT uh, uh, systems. And so I just jumped into the deep end of the insurance pool. And I remember going to my first carrier and I was like, man, this is, this is crazy. They have, they have an incredible amount of data and it's, you know, they, they need so much help. I, I just kept, I just kept thinking they need so much help. Even yeah. the really big companies needed a lot of help. And uh, 2008, a good friend of mine got me involved in work comp and the rest is history. I jumped, I, kind of went from being a property specialist to being a hardcore work comp guy. And uh, fast, I'll fast forward to today. We have 250 employees. We're still bootstrapped. Um, and uh, we work almost entirely in the work comp space. We have a, a pretty good footprint in surety and construction risk, but we're heavy, heavy, heavy in comp. And then, uh, and then, and then still, we still do home and commercial property. Uh, software. Uh, you know, we do services and we have our own two products. We have a claim system called TerraClaim. We've got a compliance system that's COI compliance called Smart Compliance. And then we have a whole outsourcing division for carriers and brokers and TPAs. So we're we're insurance nerds, man. I mean, that's it. And, and totally it. didn't intend to be, but fell in love with the business. So before we jump into the heavy on the insurance and technology side here, tell us about your very first application, the one when you wrote when you were like 12 or 14 or whatever. Oh, what yeah. was it? I was 12. It was a, it was a true business application because it was it was solving a business purpose and, and it was from my own business. When I would ever, you got to understand, everybody in my family was in business. I mean, I didn't know someone who worked for someone else. Like my aunts, uncles, they all had their own businesses. And so um, growing up, I saw that and I was like, well, when I was 12, I wanted to make money. I mean, you know, I wanted to go make some money. So I, yeah. what can a 12 year old do, do that actually makes money? Well, paper routes at the time didn't make much. Uh, and so I, I started a lawn business, uh, cutting grass and it was a racket, man. I mean, it was, it was great. I, I, I would make between 25 and 40 bucks a yard in 19, in 92, dude. I mean, that's like a hundred bucks today. It's nuts. Well, I mean, some of them were really big yards, right? I mean, okay. the $40 yard was pretty big, but okay, okay. Most that's of my a lot of money, was, though. But, but still, do 20, 25 bucks, and, that, and I'd, I'd be done in an hour, you know, wow. and, and it was great. 12 years old. So my dad lent me the money to buy a lawnmower, and then I, I had to pay him back before I could keep any money. It's the first lesson of bootstrapping Fair. get out of debt fast. And, um, and then I realized I was having a hard time keeping up with who owed me money. <laughs> and, and look, it was 92 and it wasn't like, well, there was no internet and it wasn't like there was accounting software growing on trees back then like there is now. And so I built, a really, <laughs> I built a really cool accounts receivable application in, um, I want to say I built it in QBasic. 
uh, it was either that or Pascal. Cause at the time I was, I was coding in uh, Pascal and Q basic GW basic. So yeah. I built this really, ba- this really cool app that, uh, just all it did was, um, track who owed me money and it would print an invoice and then I could mark it as paid. I didn't understand that I was building an AR app, but I, I was, I just needed to know who owed me money. Mm-hmm. And I, it, it was funny cause it, you know, like my first customer I used it on got really ticked off because he's like, what 12 year old sends invoices. <laughs> Love it. He was mad about it. Cause I put it under his windshield. He Love wasn't paying, he wasn't paying me on time. And uh, then when I was 15, I kept writing a lot of code, you know, just anything I, anything I could think of. Mind you, no internet, no code samples, right? I mean, mm-hmm. books, books came with a floppy disk that had a minimal amount of code samples. You had to read books for everything else. Yep. And then when I was 15, they made us, and I'm so thankful. So this was such a big life event. And it, you, know, you never know when big life events are happening, right? Like sometimes you do, but a lot of times you don't. They made us do science uh, science fair. And so I... Uh, I, I wrote, uh, I was like, well, what the hell do I do? Do I make the volcano crap, you know, that just be, nah, 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 nah. So I was like, I'm going to write a piece of software for, for science fair. And so uh, everybody else did the volcanoes and the earthworms and the ants and all the other stuff. And I was, I was like, I wrote code. Well, what can I do? I was super fascinated with the Enigma machine from the World War mm-hmm. II and, and encryption. And so I went to the library. That's this thing where there's a room filled with books called a library. And uh, <laughs> I went. I've heard I, of it. I checked out every book on encryption, and then I uh, I, I coded my own cipher. I, I built a rotating cipher, and I built an addition cipher, and then I, it was it was a rotating key cipher as well. So you t- put a password in, then it would hash the cipher, and then it would it would it would it would mash up the the cipher with the code, and then it would rotate so that it, it really garbled the hell out of the message. And if you got just one character wrong in the password nothing made sense. Right. And uh, so I built like this eight step encryption algorithm. And then I was like, well, how do I use it? So I wrote a word processor. Um, There was no dude. It was 1995. Like there was hardly anything. I I know. I I just love the 15 year old being like, I'm just going to build a word process. I did. And and so I built this, I I mimicked MS DOS edit. If you remember the old MS DOS edit, I mimicked that there was no intrinsic functions. So at the time I had to build all the drop downs by hand and I had to build the file, save exit. All that was by hand cursor navigation all by hand. Right. It it was all, you had, you had to hand code everything. And then I, then I baked the encryption hash into the editor so that you could type a message, save a message. You could encrypt it and decrypt it all inside the app and save it and load it and then open and save different files. I built all of that. (laughs) And and then I went, I, I won like everything. I mean, it was crazy. I won. I won my school science fair. I went to regional. I won the regional science fair. Uh, the Navy and Army gave me science awards. They gave me money and calculators and bags. And I, I went to state, and I got second place only to another encryption project from a oh. city in Louisiana. So number one and number two were both encryption projects, and uh, and his was really good. I mean, he he legitimately won, and. Um, and then I got more military science awards, and I was like, "Dude, I can make money writing code." That was it. That was. I'm sorry for the long yeah. explanation, but that no, was love it. that was like the game changer for me. And ever since then, that's all I wanted to do. That was it. Love it. So obviously, congratulations to you on the growth of JB Knowledge and being such a premier provider of uh, all these insurance-related services as well as technology. And so I'd love to get your opinion. Where do you see? the common challenges that organizations are facing today? 
Well, you know, you still it's 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 so funny. It's like a, it's like a my favorite movie, my favorite movie of all time. And it's okay. going to sound so stupid. It's a Bill Murray movie called Groundhog Day. And uh love Groundhog Day. And technology feels like Groundhog Day because you wake up and it's like the same music's playing and you still have to hit the same clock. And we're still facing the same challenges. I mean, people think that going paperless means going digital and, and it's not. And so they'll like scan paper in and route it. And that, so that's a big challenge. Number two, Excel is still a major hurdle. I mean, Microsoft Excel still powers a substantial portion of underwriting claims, policy management. Um, you, you, when you really dig and you get and you go to a carrier and you go to the desktops of the people actually doing the work, if you took Excel away, they could not do their job. And so that I, I think that's a really big problem because Excel is not centralized, it's not standardized, it's not secure, and it's not uniform. Uh, well, at least mm-hmm. it's standardized. And so you end up with a lot of really challenging results and scalability issues. I think I think it still takes way long for people to way too long for people to roll out new lines of business. And you see this in particular at carriers, but brokers and TPAs struggle with this too. You know, we're entering this like amazing creative phase in insurance where we're coming up with new, totally new lines of business and totally new ways of charging for it, right? Like, you know, when you're talking about paper use insurance, that's a major thing for underwriters and for policy management and claims handling to get their their hands around, right? Because you got to change the way you bill and the way you collect and commissions. And I mean, everything changes, right? And uh, a lot of folks are going direct right as well. So that's all super challenging. And I, and I, I still see a lot of hurdles where sometimes it'll take three months to roll a new state on one line, like one line, mm-hmm. one state, three months, which means that if they want to roll a new line out to 50 states, it's going to take years. You know I mean? So I think that's like the big hang up. And I still don't feel like I'm seeing enough forward movement in that area. For sure. Would you say that the pandemic has accelerated the digital transformation? Like in your interactions with companies in the industry, have things been moving faster than before COVID? And then how well do you think we're doing as an industry when it comes to responding? Yeah, I think, um, okay, I know that COVID accelerated certain digital adoption. I know it because I observed it, right? I mean, I, I don't need to rely on anecdotal evidence. Um, I, I definitively observed <laughs> that companies who still had these remnants of on-prem computing, that got blown out of the water, man. I mean, when you can't go to your office for seven months and all your stuff's on-prem, you got a big problem. So it really, in in my opinion, it really, it was like, take you know the you ever seen a kid and I have two daughters and I remember, I remember what the, when I was trying to get one of my daughters to jump off a diving board for the first time, you know, like like the kid that starts crying and not, not wanting to jump, you know, that was one of, that one of my, yep. that was my older daughter just did not want to do it. And I feel like COVID took all of those people that are staring there at the edge of the diving board, looking at the digital divide and crying about it. Um, proverbially, not like actually crying, but I think it just kind of pushed them off the diving board, and it had to, right? You had, you had, you had to deal with, you had to deal with off-prem. You had to just come to grips with the cloud. 
Um, you had to deal with virtual meetings, which is a big deal. And then you had to deal with digital, really digital workflow and routing. And the companies that and people that were not prepared for that really struggled in the first six to 12 months. And I think one of the reasons you're looking at a lot of labor shortages now, too, is there's people that just literally were close to retirement and did it. They just retired because they just didn't want to deal with it. I mean, it just wasn't a workforce they wanted to deal in anymore. And so I, I think, yeah, I know it accelerated it. We saw it accelerate it. Now, it also, because because everyone is so uncertain around money, um, I mean, there, there was a legitimate fear that the entire economy was going to completely collapse global. Yep. Um, with good, with good foundation, right? Like there was like a good reasoning behind it, um, that spending on discretionary contracts dried up for several months. And so for those of us who are selling product, it got really hard to sell for a while. <laughs> I mean, it got really hard to move units because there were a lot of companies that just put, uh, a, a complete freeze on new spending. Yeah, and so that was sure. that was difficult. For sure. What do you think are the biggest factors that are going to have an impact going forward on workers comp? Do you think um you know, has COVID had any differences on workers comp? I know, you know, some people talked yeah. about business interruption, which is obviously not related to workers comp, but there have been other things that COVID has impacted. Yeah. Well, okay. From th thinking again, thinking at it from a technologist perspective mm. um, and, and trying to look at like, what about the interaction between technology and workers uh, will impact risk? Mm hmm. COVID introduced a whole slew of tracking and monitoring that people were absolutely against beforehand. 100%. So when you look at like temperature checks, wellness checks, mm. biometric scans, um, infrared cameras with scans, and for, you know cameras in general looking at proximity and distancing, there was an enormous amount of resistance to doing proximity, distance checking, um, worker tracking biometric and health scans. And this was like ripping the giant bandaid off of that entire category of technology that could help keep workers safer and would tie directly back in with comp premiums. Uh, and, sure. and so I think that we will see, continue to see a much more rapid adoption of tracking sensor network check-in, check-out, proximity, density tracking, health check, I think we're going to see a much faster adoption than had COVID never happened, right? Because mm -hmm. that now we know what a pandemic looks like. We know the kind of tech that we have to have. And the reality is that proximity tech, that the proximity tech that was implemented, and there was quite a few of them out there, and we covered it on both my podcasts. Like, you can take something like... Um, agenda or something like um oh geez <laughs> there's like three or four platforms that would be good examples here sure i'm and, sure people can google them agenda is the one that comes straight to mind because they they really made a major play in both construction and insurance mm -hmm. um but triax is another one they're in connecticut spot their their spotter platform you know when you we, the really neat thing is when you track proximity 
and density. You're also tracking worker movement. You can track lifting patterns for injury, Ooh. lifting injuries. You can track slip, trip, fall for slip, trip, fall detection and prevention and notification. You can do evacuation um, facilitation and, and, and like spot or cut evacuation times down by half. Um, wow. so that's all impressive. Of, yeah, all like it was like average of 13 minutes down to six minutes by, by using tech. So like this technology that could be implemented to deal with another version, cause we're seeing the Delta variant really spread across the country and the, the anti-vaxxers that aren't getting vaccinated are getting infected a lot faster right now. Big surprise. Um, you know, it's, it, uh, this tech is going to help with that. But the other area that it really helps with that helps the bottom line of the insured is productivity tracking because productivity tracking is the golden goose and mm -hmm. in all industries. And so the ability to, to really apply lean principles uh, and eliminate waste and reduce the number of steps in a, in a, in a task, well, that's directly tied to technology that can track worker proximity and contact tracing and so, like, that's that's what got me excited. I mean, there wasn't a lot to be excited about in the pandemic, especially for a type yeah. A extrovert who likes to be around people. It was hell. Yeah. But but uh, th that was a, an unexpected benefit. For sure. And I think it's interesting because it ties into inefficiency. And you have this, you know, saying that you're known for, which is the cost of inefficiency. Can you explain to the listeners what you mean by it and what the implications are when it comes to the insurance industry? The cost of inefficiency? Yes, that's right. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 something I it's this giant and I and I, I've said it on my other podcast and, and on on a, a lot of speeches I've given that companies bury buckets of gold every day on their their work sites, whether it's uh, whether it's at their uh, whether it's like a field related industry like construction um, or, or transportation, they, they just bury buckets of gold. I mean, just buckets and buckets and buckets of gold. They spend so much money. Uh, a really good example that was a that was like an eight figure example. UPS um, has really dialed in the process of driving the cost of inefficiency down. And one of the things they realized was that buckling and unbuckling seat belts was costing them a lot of money. And so they started doing a half day to full day training on how to enter the cab of the vehicle, sit down, close the door and buckle and the least number of steps. And so by cutting that transaction time down and then the inverse, right? Unbuckling, opening the door and getting out by cutting that down, they were able to save it. And I verified this with with uh, some friends who work at UPS. They were able to save over ten million a year. Just, I mean, just, just wrap, your, wrap, your, wrap your brain around that. How much ten million dollars? Just wrap your brain around how much money that is, right? That's that's yeah. some company's entire top line was tied up in the inefficiency of buckling and unbuckling and entering and exiting a cab. And so that's really why. Um, technology can help us. Now, you can also eliminate that inefficiency just through the power of observation, right? But technology is a great enabler when you're having to observe at scale. And that's always why, that's what we're talking about. Like, it's easy to solve all those kind of problems when you got like one site and one worker and one observer. What happens when you have 100,000 workers and, 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 and 200,000 sites a day they visit? I mean, and it, it becomes impossible to physically observe all of them. So I think that's what's so cool about tech 
risk tech is is the vast majority of risk related technology can really help with productivity which means that it can it can reduce losses but it can also drive top line revenue because the more productive your workers are the more billings you get out of them you know and and hopefully you're not billing by the hour hopefully you're billing by the unit or something like that because that's really where you realize the productivity gain that example is so crazy because where i thought you were going to go with it is like the left turn which is a very famous example Yep. Left turns cause a lot of accidents and all trucking companies, as far as I understand, now program three right turns. Not only does it save gas because left turns take a long time, but it reduces accidents. And so Correct. Yeah. it's crazy. Just these small, small things can have such an outsized impact. Um, it's crazy to me. So if you had to think of three trends, let's say, what are some of the biggest trends you're seeing right now when it comes to workers' compensation? Well, uh, the first big one that's being talked about a lot, but it's actually being implemented, is um, definitely predictive analytics. I mean, like actual real predictive analytics, not fake predictive. Uh, there's a lot of fake AI out there. That uh, There's a really great cartoon from Scooby-Doo where they actually someone took a Scooby-Doo cartoon of, a, of one of the Scooby-Doo characters lifting a, a, a sheet off someone's head and saying, and, and, and underneath the sheet, it says, if then. And, and so they're basically saying that like AI, AI is just if thens, right? I, I love it. I love it. And I, that's how I feel like most AI is just like, just pull the sheet off and it's just a bunch of if then, if then statements. Like I remember when I went to a, I went to an insure tech conference a few years ago and like the really hot thing at the time was chatbots, like really super hot. Turns out people don't really like chatting with chatbots and and almost none, of, almost none of them can legitimately get close to passing the Turing test. So humans can tell they're chatting to a chatbot and they don't want to. But like the chatbots, Ron, I kid you not, were literally like the old software I used to use from like ANSI terminals. Because it was basically just, here's your options. Pick one, two, or three. I'm like, oh my gosh. I did that application in 1992 in GW Basic. I mean, oh, like, code. like this is not a chatbot. This is a text terminal interface that's five times less efficient. So like that's like that's that I saw a lot of the fake AI garbage. Now I'm seeing legitimate real predictive analytics solutions that are going way beyond conditional if thens that are that are not even using public machine learning models. They're actually authoring their own ML models. They're training their ML models and now they have tens of or hundreds of millions of claims to train them on. And so you're starting to see the results of that in the ability to predict outcome i.e. how many days open do you think this claim is going to be? What do you think the total incurred is? And what's your recommended reserve, right? Which is the big things you want to know when you're looking at predictive uh, analytics is what should I set the reserve at? How long is this going to be open? And then ultimately, what steps can we take to try and cut down uh, our time to work, right? Because you want to get everybody back to work. The sooner they get back to work, the less money it's going to cost. And some machine learning models that are getting really good at predicting fraud, you know, detecting fraud, looking at mm -hmm. patterns of fraud that go beyond. Because like before, when we said predictive analytics and work comp, we we're mainly talking about humans assigning assigning a multiple to a comorbidity factor. Like if they're diabetic, then you notice if then if they're diabetic, then triple the cost of the claim. If they're a smoker, then double the cost of the claim. If they're obese, then triple the cost of the claim. You know, the, the interesting thing and, and one of the interesting things we found as we started digging into tens of millions of claims was that the attorney representation had just as big of an impact on claim cost as comorbidity factors. And not even if they're represented by attorney, 
which attorney represents them has a big impact. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, that's, that's some stuff you find out once you're, once you train an ML model to look at claims and like, I, one of my favorite features in power BI is the, um, their intelligent sense. I, I forgot what that smart, what they call it. I'll, I'll remember smart trends or something. They have, there's some feature name inside power BI yeah. where it, it will automatically generate widgets for you based on correlation. It thinks that it sees inside the data. And that's, that's legit, right? That's legitimately a machine learning model trying to trying to identify things you're not even asking for. So yeah. I think that's a big trend. Um, just rote automation is a major trend right now. Literally just automating data capture, automating data entry, automating data processing. So people don't have to manually key in as much information. Like when you look at claim origination or... Um, in in particular, the big trend over in the broker and carrier side is dramatically streamlining, dramatically streamlining the amount of data that an insured has to enter to get a price, mm-hmm. and then dramatically stre- streamlining the pro- that the amount of time it takes to bind that policy. Because now, when you look at like what Lemonade's been able to do on on property. This will be a little harder to do on work comp, but they're tapping into public data sources and they're pulling 90% of the data they need from people other than you. Mm. And, and so you're, that's, that's one thing I think is really, really cool is the ability to dramatically reduce all the questions. If you ever, if you ever to fill out an underwriting questionnaire, they suck. I mean, they're, sure. it's like drilling a hole in your head. Yeah. So yeah I, no. think, I think like I would, I would say like automation, the use of big data and true machine learning models are the three biggest trends I'm seeing right now actually being implemented. I love, I love the distinction between true AI with that Scooby-Doo example. <laughs> That's an amazing example. But I also think you hit the nail on the head there with sort of the automation piece and having it be true AI in the background there, like that Microsoft example. Yeah. Um, I love that. So you're looking for correlation and then you're really, you're looking for causality, right? Because like, because you know, everyone, and I'm a Star Trek fan. So we all know that if someone walks out in a red shirt, they're going to die. But, but the red shirt doesn't cause them to die anywhere else other than Gene Roddenberry's head. Um, You know, the red, red shirts don't cause death. They just have to be correlated. And so that, that's what I think the real difference in machine learning is, is it looks for causality, not just correlation. I love that. That's a great clip. So we're going to take a quick 20 second break to tell you where you can find more information and insights about insurance innovation. We'll be right back. If you like this episode of AI Wisdom, subscribe to our blog, Writing the Future, AI and Commercial Insurance at www.chisel.ai forward slash blog for feature articles, interviews, opinions, and more. We're back with our featured guest, James. I'd love for you to share a little bit with our listeners about some of the mobile and wearable applications that you guys are working on for insurance, some of the use cases, and how you think these technologies are going to go about delivering efficiency. Well, you know, wearable tech has gone through a lot of iterations, and certainly it's gone through the hype cycle. Um, We've built applications for HoloLens. We've built applications for the original Epson Moverio BT200, which was a predecessor to the HoloLens. I, 
I even went to Consumer Electronics Show and co-exhibited in the Epson booth with them with an app that oh, we awesome. built uh, way back in the, I mean, years ago, years ago. And uh, it was an underpowered device. Now it's actually being primarily used by drone pilots to have a transparent display. They can pilot and see the drone and then see the screen all in the same cool. transparent OLED. Uh, I think it, I think it's a transparent OLED. Maybe it's a transparent LED. Um, so we, I've built a bunch of stuff there. I built a bunch of VR apps. Um, a lot of that is has has peaked and valid already uh, as far as interest because people just don't want to wear something that big and unwieldy all the time is really what it comes down to. You and I, I'm wearing readers right now because my LASIK uh, has worn off after nine years on, on reading. Until, until, aware, until visual wearables get this small, lightweight, and easy to use, we're going we're gonna to mm. have some lagging on adoption. The main wearable that, of course, has gotten tons of adoption is, is this guy, you know, the Apple Watch. Um, followed pretty closely by Samsung's watches, I think, is the main area because Google did, uh, Apple, I mean, did an amazing job with HealthKit of tying into all of your biometric data. And so it's mm-hmm. it's, it's wild, Ron, because when I go to the doctor now, because I have, uh, I won't buy, I, I buy a lot of my own medical devices that, and they, and they all have to be HealthKit enabled. And so I got a blood pressure meter, I got a thermometer, I got a, a scale to weigh myself. my apple watch and i use strava and then i have some other um you know peloton as well as tied in with health so all those things integrate with healthkit and i think healthkit is is one of the really cool one of the coolest innovations that we could use in comp because we could pull all the workers health data up to and during and after the incident Mm-hmm. And so I think that's the, the 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 best opportunity because you don't have to you don't have to build all the infrastructure around that you don't have to build it you can you can leverage the millions of developer hours that have been put into collecting and storing and processing all that data so it's it's really it's really pretty neat to uh, to see what they're doing there and so when I think of wearables honestly I think Apple's really continuing to lead the way on this um and what i also love about what apple's done and yes i am a steve jobs fanboy and yes i am an apple fanboy i am i I, i'm just gonna admit it that's okay but it's their it's their maniacal obsession with privacy that i think is going to allow them to win over enterprise Mm -hmm. and win over the general public because the public's grown weary and i know i have grown weary of selling my data so i've been yes i've been unplugging everything i can from different ecosystems that that ship my data around uh, and Apple's given me a private alternative. So when we talk about wearables, I think that's really the, the big area of opportunity. The HoloLens 2 is an amazing device. I mean, it's ridiculous. And I own HoloLenses. I own multiple HoloLenses. I love them. They're fun. They're fun to game on. They're fun to build specific apps, but I'm, I'm just not going to wear it around on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas my Apple watch is always on and, um, and it's always collecting data and um, right. it's and then and then that and all my other health apps are constantly dumping data. And when you look at a comp perspective, you know medical and return to work and all those things are big, big, uh, big watch phrases. And it could really benefit from that kind of data centralization on health data. I think that's such a great example and so tangible and something that everybody has probably experienced in their day to day life and never really thought much of. So. Um, as we wrap up, I'm curious, James, who's a business leader in any industry that you admire most? Um, I'll stick. Well, I read Bob Iger's 
uh, biography, his autobiography recently. He's the CEO. Now he's the chairman of Disney Corporation. Yep. And I got so much out of it. <laughs> I got so much out of it. And his real obsession with fusing design and engineering is something I think everybody in software should pay attention to. And what he did by fusing together the the Disney Imagineers and the Pixar creative geniuses has led to this massive renaissance at this global powerhouse. And it all mm-hmm. was his, his core pillars that he's built Disney on. And so I really wasn't expecting to um, learn so much out of studying his career in life. I totally did. I mean, I, I was um, certainly Steve Jobs is someone that all of us in tech look up to. If you don't, you're lying. Like you're, you're just yeah. being a hater or something. I mean, yeah, just, I'm with you 100%. You know what I mean? Like, like how, how can you not admire someone who radically transformed the way that all of us live every day? And, and I, I think, mean, he had his faults, which is, I think, where most people come. But yeah. I think the faults are separate <laughs> from the contributions. So. Yeah, and I really wish, I really wish we would stop just ripping apart people in general. Like, you know, let he who has no sin cast the first stones. All I got to say, because I mean, yeah, you better be perfect if you're going to come at somebody these days. You know what I mean? I'm with you. And um, so it's uh, um, it's it's, oh. a, it's a little scary to to see that, but I think, yeah, I think. Um, Jobs was really uh, had, had an amazing uh, career. Elon Musk um, is a little out of control on Twitter, but uh, <laughs> but 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 he is redefining what a moonshot is. Um, he's really redefining what aggressive goal setting looks like, and he's really redefining yeah. the the role of a visionary um, CEO. And so I think that's I think he's really an impressive one to watch. And, you know, there's a bunch in the tech sector that you could look at, the, just pure play tech that are really interesting to, to study and observe. Um, whether you're looking at the Google Ventures guys that, that wrote some really great books on lean startups or you're, mm-hmm. um, you know, I love there's a there's a there's a guy who owns a woodworking manufacturing company called uh, Paul Akers. He wrote my favorite book on lean called Two Second Lean, and he has developed this amazing, easy to use system uh, for eliminating waste and improving efficiency and, and what he says, fixing what bugs you. And it's, it's like my core Bible of how I I'm always leaning out my workstation in my house and my car and my office. Uh, and then, then the last one would be Gino Wickman who invented the EOS system. And we we run, we've run on entrepreneurial operating system. It's actually a, a methodology, not a, not a software but it's a methodology for running business that's completely transformed my life and my business. And so like, if I looked at like Gino and uh, Paul Akers and, you know, Elon and Steve jobs and, and Bob Iger, I mean, th- these are some really great folks that it helps to study and read their books and look at mm-hmm. their lives, look at their businesses and not get too critical on their personal, like everybody's, everybody's imperfect. Like everybody's flawed. Everybody's sinned. Everybody's, you know, er- everybody, everybody's a little messed up. And so I think as long as you remember that and you, you study the good things out of them that you can, you can, uh, you can get a lot out of it and, and it can change. Sure. Your business. Certainly has changed my business. For sure. That's amazing. And Bob is definitely not somebody I, I know of Bob and not somebody that's ever been mentioned. So yeah. I, I secondly, I echo that. So James, where can people find out more about you and JB Knowledge? Well, you can you can find out more about my company, JB Knowledge, and our 250 employees at jbknowledge.com. 
Uh, you can find out more about me at jamesbenham.com. That's James, B-E-N-H-A-M, jamesbenham.com. Our two InsureTech products are smartcompliance.co and terraclaim.com. And uh, you can check them out there. And, uh, you know, we'd, I'd love to, to chat or engage. I'll be at ITC in Vegas. I hope you will too, Ron. Uh, yes, yeah, so I'll be at InsureTech Connect. Um, we, I'll be flying awesome. myself out there. I am a pilot. I like to fly at all this stuff, and so uh, I'll be at InsureTech Connect. I'll be I'll be at a, as many conferences as I can get to uh, in the next twelve months, uh, trying to trying to enjoy being around people again. Love it. Awesome. Well, James, thank you so much for sharing your knowledge with us. And uh, as always, if you'd like to stay up to date with the latest and greatest in insurance innovation check out www.chisel.ai and you can connect with me on LinkedIn, Ron Glosman, G-L-O-Z-M-A-N, or on Twitter at Ron Glosman. Thank you. That's a wrap for AI Wisdom, talking innovation and insurance hosted by Chisel AI and me, Ron Glosman. Thanks for listening. If you like our podcast and want to hear more, check us out at www.chisel.ai or tune in and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. SoundCloud, Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, or Stitcher. Join us next time for more expert insights and straight talk on how AI and InsurTech innovation are transforming the insurance value chain. See you on the next episode.